Right on. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for your beautiful tunes. Appreciate it. <laughs> Can we get up for the worship team this morning? Yeah. I gotta say, I'm really impressed with the number of people who made it here. Like, congratulations from me to you. Yeah, that's right, Carson, what up? <laughs> I gotta say, it's, it's an impressive navigation. Uh, I think it's the blessing and flip side of the coin of having church in a city where things happen. So luckily, only two days a year will you have to make the what is considered a half block trek um, to the church. Some churches have bigger parking lots than as far as we have to park. Um, but it's actually the more like getting here. Did anyone think on their way here, like, Lord, help me, please, God, direct me into this place? Like, like you, I had this legitimate fear that like someone was just gonna get trapped within some kind of circle of cones and just have to buy a new house and establish their residence there. Like, I'm never getting out of here. I'll just wait till noon just nap in the spirit in my car. Uh, but, I, but I'm excited that you made it here. I wanna do this this morning uh, before we start and that pastors uh, Dana and Bridget and then uh, Chandler and Kelly and Olgi, they're all uh, like in process to Thailand. They're all traveling and flying and they get there on what is their Monday morning, I guess. It's a 15 hour flight. So I think they're probably still on the plane potentially. Uh, but I just wanna open it in prayer this morning for them that we would pray protection and guidance over them. Would you join with me this morning? God, we thank you for the mighty mission that you've given pastors Dana and Bridget. God, I pray right now as they travel that you would protect them, that even on the plane in their downtime, you would just continue to inspire them by the power of your Holy Spirit and just ignite with them that fire and protect them while they're in Thailand. May this just be a blessed time of rejoicing in the expansion of the kingdom of God that you've called them to in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Would you do me a favor? Would you open your Bibles to Matthew 6, 5 through 14? We're going to read that together this morning. Uh, man, really, as I was preparing this message, I realized this is like six messages, but we only got like three weeks on this prayer series, so I'm going to get them all in, in one message. Are you guys ready? We're going to do like that moment before the series when you didn't remember what happened in season one, and you're watching season two, and you're like, man, there has to be some kind of recap or together combination collection. That's kind of what we're going to do for uh, prayer here, because I believe that there's a lot God is doing in our hearts for 21 days, and I believe that there's a lot he wants to release. And this morning, my prayer is that as you leave this church, that there would be something inside your heart that moves to a deeper love of prayer and not understanding it as an obligation, but as a blessing. And that's my prayer for you this morning, is that no matter how deep and in love you are with prayer, we have some incredible prayer warriors at this church, people who love prayer. I pray even for you that God would deepen your love and your commitment to prayer with him this morning. Are we good with that? Amen. You guys are in a great mood for having to navigate that, right? Come on. That's awesome. Well, let's read together, starting Matthew 6, uh, 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus talking, by the way. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. 
But when you pray, go to your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. So direct instruction from Jesus right here. Pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins." Kind of ends with some fire. So don't freak out about that last part. We'll get there. If you're like, oh my gosh, going to hell. <laughs> it's fine. You're fine. You'll make it. We're all, <laughs> it's good. You're fine. You're okay. Um, I was trying to think this week and I had the blessing of talking uh, with a lot of people really about this message and about, about prayer and heard so many great analogies. And so I was trying to think of really thinking of prayer in the scope of the environment we live in. Um, you know, uh, I was talking with Carson, he told me this really great quote about pirates, and I loved that, but I personally have never been a pirate, so I was trying to think uh, in my life, I know, life goals, right? We'll get there. Um, I was trying to think, and it was beautiful, and I can't be that beautiful, so I was like, okay, what do we can do? Uh, and so I was thinking about hiking, and I was thinking about my time spent in the desert here, and I want you guys to imagine with me, close your eyes if you have to, depending on how audio, uh, audible or visual you are with your, your learning. And just imagine that you yourself are lost in the desert. Maybe it looks like the superstitions. Maybe it looks like whatever is between here and Tucson. I still haven't figured that out. It's just nothing. Um, and it's you are lost in a desert. That's where you are. Picture that lost in a desert with all its heat, its uh, camouflage snakes with rattles. All of its things, right? I don't know, rabid coyotes, cactus, all of its things, pictures of, I'm lost in the desert. And here's how you got there. At one point, you were on a journey with a guide. And the guide was with you at all times and promised you all things. But at some point, you decided, you know what? I actually kind of like this path. And the guy's like, no, 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 no. We'll keep going this path. So at some point, you decided, you know what? You do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. And you wandered away. And you're a full-grown adult. So it's not like they were going to, like, you know, force you to go. So you, you walked. You, were, uh, you had your own free will. And you walked down your own path. And as you walked down this own path of your own decision, you realized that the consequence was where you are now, which is lost in a desert. And there's no water. And there's no food. And there's no hope. Because if you spent time in the desert, it's, there's not a lot going on when it's 100 degrees except the very quick death of like everything about you. Your, your, your body is just decaying in the desert. It's so hot. And so in this moment of living out the fullness of the consequences of your decisions, that you are now lost in the desert, you think there's no hope, this is where I'm gonna die. What happens is that guide again finds you, comes to you and says, you know what? I know that you chose to go down your own path, but right now, if you would follow me, I'm gonna take you home. 
right? I'm gonna take you home. I'm gonna take you out of the desert. I know you chose to be here and you don't have to choose to follow me, but right now, if you choose to follow me, I'm gonna take you out of the desert. Not I'm gonna instantly not make it a desert. I'm gonna take you out and eventually we're gonna get to the home where you belong, right? And he says to you, beyond that, on this journey, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be dusty, there's still snakes, there's still holes in the ground and canyons, there's still things of peaks and valleys, it's still a desert, but on this journey, you can at any point ask me for anything. So here you are, here I am, totally dehydrated, and he holds out the coldest, freshest, cleanest, most purified mountain spring water, and he says, do you want a drink? To which we would all reply, yes, of course. Right, of course I want a drink. And not only that, but he brings out this delicious food, and he brings out this beautiful umbrella, and he says, see, see these things? These things I want to provide for you. I want to be with you. So at any point on this journey, you can ask for anything. To which at that moment, you know, what we would ask for is water. And then probably five steps later, more water because we're severely dehydrated. And on the journey, we would get the blessing of following someone who we did not deserve to follow and receiving something we did not deserve to get. And all we have to do is ask. And so that is the premise for prayer, that it's not that God is removing us from the desert, but he's taking us onto a journey to the home where we belong that is so good. And he says, at any point on this journey, you can ask me for something. <laughs> I got bit by a snake, right? Now I'm just gonna walk it off and figure it out on my own. And then eventually when it's gangrene, then I'm gonna ask the guide for help, right? Then I'm going to ask for help. He's like, wait a second. I told you you could have anything. I'm talking like instantaneous, boom, anti-venom. In fact, even before that, how about, hey, God, when you see snakes, maybe give me a heads up and we'll avoid them. That's a good thing to ask. You can ask me anything. And that's the prayer this morning. That's what prayer is. It's a blessing. And so what's happening in Matthew chapter 6 isn't, isn't correction in a harsh way. It's what Jesus is saying is, listen, I want to redirect your perspective on prayer to the right perspective. Because when you understand what prayer is, no one should have to tell you that you should pray. They most likely would have to tell you, stop praying so you could get some other work done, right? Because it's such a blessing. Or maybe they would see you and say, what are you doing right now while you're working? You're saying, I'm praying because you understand the blessing. And so this morning, I want us to reshape our perspective on prayer. And so what's happening in Matthew chapter 6 is that uh, Jesus is not giving something to the disciples in the Lord's Prayer and saying, you know what, I'm going to give you this. Go ahead and put this on some wood pallets and sell that at Hobby Lobby. This is what this is for. What he's giving you, I'm not knocking Hobby Lobby. You know, that's fine. They do their thing and get mugs and stuff and art supplies. But what I'm saying is that God is, Jesus is reshaping the perspective of the disciples. Because when Jesus was tired, he prayed. When he was overwhelmed, he prayed. When he felt blessed, when he received the Spirit, he prayed. He prayed all the time. And his prayers were powerful and effective. His prayer was constant. His prayer glorified the Lord. And so I just want to set up contextually, the disciples are looking at how Jesus is praying. And we accept that as kind of the norm. But the disciples were also looking at how the Pharisees were praying. And that was their norm. So for us, our norm is like how we see Jesus praying. And for them, their norm is how they see the Pharisees and other religious leaders praying. So what did that look like? The religious leaders were basically setting a bad example. 
in that the problem is they had taken God off the throne of their prayers and they had elevated themselves to the throne. Right, verse five talks about they love to pray standing in the synagogues and the street corners. What does that mean? They stood in elevated places where they could be seen by lots of people and then they prayed in a way that would constantly elevate themselves. So not, a, not against praying in public or, or with people, but against this vanity sense of prayer. And then the other thing it mentions in uh, verse seven is don't pray like the pagans for they babble on. And what, again, I, I wanna make sure that we're really clear on this because what he's not speaking against is praying consistently in prayer or praying the same thing over and over, right? Jesus in Matthew 26 actually says when he's in the garden, he goes back a third time and it says he prayed the same thing. So Jesus loves consistency and tenacity in prayer, which we'll talk about more next week about tenacity and boldness in prayer. But what he's praying against is this idea of vanity. And most importantly, it's misunderstanding the blessing of prayer. Because when we take a blessing that's for the Lord, that we get to be a part of and we make it for us, we twist it. And turns out Jesus doesn't really like that. And if we look at what the disciples are encountering at the time is that they're encountering a group of people who had let all these non-scriptural things and these non-God-like things come into their practice. And so they were more concerned with being religious than relational. And they had turned prayer instead of right now prayer into religious prayer for a certain place and a certain people and a certain thing. And we're not even talking about them understanding the full concepts context of the resurrection because it hadn't occurred yet. So we have an even greater blessing of this, right? And so in the moment, what they're encountering is a group of people saying, this is how you pray when you can pray and you gotta pray like us. And you know, we're great and mighty and we receive this blessing. And then they see Jesus and Jesus is overwhelmed. And when does he pray? Right now. They bring him the food. What does he do? Does he go through all these rituals and take it to the temple? What does he do? He prays right now. And they're so blown away that Jesus says, I, I'm gonna teach in Luke. It actually says, they say, Jesus, would you teach us like John teaches his disciples to pray, right? God, would you teach us? We see, Messiah, what you're doing. Would you teach us to do that? Because something's going on here. And I love that kind of right now kind of prayer. I love hanging out with people who have that kind of right now kind of prayer. It's the best. You know, people like uh, Celine, they have this like right now kind of prayer. It's like you say, oh man, you know, I, I've been dealing with this in my life. And they say, let's pray right now. Right, not like, oh yeah, I'll write it in my journal and then get to it eventually. And I'm not knocking that, so don't think that's happening. But I'm saying that they have a right now sense of prayer. When I wake up in the morning, when do I praise God? Right now through prayer. When I'm facing something difficult at work, do I say, I'll deal with that when I get to church and I'll just like lay that at the feet of some pastor? No, I just pray right now. When I feel lost or confused or excited or rejoicing or praising, when do I pray? Right now. If we want to see God move in power in this city, we're not a later sense of prayer. We have a right now sense of prayer, an urgency sense of prayer, a relational sense of prayer. And that's my heart for this church, that above all things, we would be a people who seek God in prayer constantly and to grow in that, to not have just the chosen few who pray, but a church of people who say, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna pray right now. I hate this job and I wanna quit and these people drive me crazy and the next person that comes up to my booth is getting slapped. But you know what I'm gonna do instead? I'm gonna pray 
right now. And so he says, okay, I'm gonna equip you to pray right now. And he gives them six things. Six things may be the most points I've ever had in a message, but I'll try to go quickly. He gives them six things. And he sets up this formula, and the formula goes basically like this. Seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be given to you. But most importantly, seek first the kingdom of God, right? But he gives them in the Lord's Prayer six things, basically six petitions. Uh, I like that word. Three relating to God and his honor, and three relating to us and our needs. And each one of these petitions, I believe, fully applies to us in a daily life of prayer. And oftentimes, the thing people tell me the most when they struggle in prayer is, I just don't know what to say. And that's okay. You don't have to be a person of quick words. You just have to be a person of deep devotion in prayer. And when we go through these things, I think we'll see is that at any moment of the day, there is something to seek the Lord for in prayer. So I want to walk through these. Very first thing is, uh, these are the first three calls that we have uh, in prayer. First thing is a call to unity. The very first words of the prayer, right? Verse nine, our Father in heaven. I like this because he's talking to his disciples who are a group. They are a body of people. And he says, our Father. And so in the, in the beginning of the prayer and throughout the prayer, he stresses a unity, not only between us and God, but between us and the fellowship of believers, that we would be united together. Not only that, Man, is anybody else really warm in here? I'm sorry. Is anyone else warm? Can you flip the fan on? Thank you. <laughs> Whew. I'm sorry. I know that's going to break the flow, but it's worth it, guys. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> I feel, anyone else feel the oxygen like slowly escaping? Um, but it's a call to unity and that our prayer is not just an individual prayer, but a corporate prayer. That God is our Father. Uh, I love when Paul quotes uh, the Cretan philosophers and Sicilian Stoic philosophers in Acts 17, and he says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Or Romans 8, 15 through 16 said, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Or like this 1 John 3, 1. 1 John, awesome uh, book of the Bible. It says, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. See, church, we live in a world that is daily trying to break us apart and cause division. Right, go online, watch TV, interact with the general community. And what you see is that the world is trying to draw all of these lines in which we should not be able to connect or be united or be together, right? Constantly we see this division. And, and what that is is this scheme of the enemy to put inside of us this sin nature that creates tribalism, that breaks us apart on lines of gender or race or age or ideas or demographics. And it tries to take and what the enemy wants to do to you is he wants to make you isolated because if he can make you isolated, he has a much better chance to get you to listen just to him because if he can pull you away from the body of believers,
believers, from the corporate church, from the people who would love and support you, from, from praising and uniting to, to get you away from him and by yourself, isolated and alone, what he can do is be the only voice you hear in that moment. Or at least a more powerful one. Only voice is too exclusive. A more powerful one. And so right from the beginning, what we pray is the sense of our Father. And throughout the prayer, this sense of unity that says, we're going to reject this idea that just because I differ with somebody, or even that they, I, they rub me the wrong way, that's okay too, that I'm going to remove myself from a community or a group. But what I'm going to do is... In my life, I'm going to seek God daily that there would be this unity and this community that he's not only my father, but he's Henry's father, that he's Carson's father, that he's Sydney's father. He is our father. And so like it or not, he unites us. And so we got to learn and pray to get together. It's not easy to get together all the time. That's why we have prayer daily. Amen. Amen. And so we get this blessing that we could stop at any second and say, you know what, God? I feel this. I feel that the world, I feel that my own self is trying to pull apart a sense of togetherness and put in a sense of isolation. And I reject that. In the name of Jesus, I pray, would you unite the church? Would you unite my heart with them in the name of Jesus? That church is a daily, daily prayer. I pray that daily for this church, for this community, that we would be united. The second call that we get is a call to praise. Verse 9, the continuation of that, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means greatly revered, or would your name be honored as holy. I love this because prayer is a time to give God the glory he deserves, right? He always deserves the glory. And when it comes to God's glory, since all is of him and through him, all must be to him and for him. Right, all the glory is his, therefore it has to all be given to him. But again, I want to stress that it's not an obligation because I believe that praising God can daily can radically shift the sense of what we're facing in that day. You know, last week was was a was a crazy day. I'm sure it was a crazy, you know, day for many of you with you know, all, all the announcements, all the things going on. It was a crazy day for me, if I'm being totally honest. It was very stressful not knowing what was gonna happen, how much of the church was just gonna walk out. Um, <laughs> uh, and announcing, oh man, I just made that super vague, like something bad happened. <laughs> um, just announcing that Dana and Bridget are taking that step to enlarge the kingdom to Bangkok. Wow, that sounded bad. Okay, we're good, we're all good, right? Everyone's good, amen? Amen, okay, good. <laughs> good to clarify. I was like, that was so ominous. If you're new, you're like, what happened? <laughs> like, yeah, it happened. Um, but we get this opportunity to pray. And so I'm walking with my dog down my street and I have all of these things. Anyone else been there? All of these things where I just like, I'm like waiting at the starter pistol to like jump and saying, God, help me with this. God, would you give me this? God, I need this. And I just felt this overwhelming sense like, you know what, Josh, you just need to praise the Lord this morning. And so I'm walking down my street and I probably look crazy with my dog and I'm just praising God. God, thank you. I praise you. You're worthy. You're holy. Thank you for your creation. Then I get to thank you for sending your son to die for me. Anyone else just praise God for that lately? Just say, thank you, God, for sending your son for me. And what happened is I began to praise God, especially for sending his son. It radically shifted 
my perspective. And I gotta say, praising God for the cross will always give you peace in the crisis. In your life, when you praise God for the cross, it can radically shift our perspective and give us just a supernatural peace in the midst of our chaos. And I love that about the Lord, that God isn't just giving permission, he's calling us to in teaching us the prayer to say, praise me daily. And the blessing that I will pour out to you is that as you praise me, I will radically redirect your perspective to go from finite to a more infinite sense of understanding that who the Lord is, that he, like Gianna said earlier, he was faithful, he is faithful, and he will be faithful. And we get the daily blessing, just like that guide with the water. At no point in the desert does the desert not get hot. So at every point every day, we need to say, oh, I need, I need some more here. Like I, I need to recommune, reconnect, re-engage. And that's what we get to do through praise. The third thing this morning, the last call here is a call to repentance. That one doesn't sound as fun as the other ones. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come is really an invitation of two forms. One, it's an expectant invitation of the literal physical kingdom of God that would come in the second coming of Christ. Right, as a Christian, like, we're all excited for the coming, for Christ to come again. That someday he would come again, that he, he would bring his kingdom to earth. And then it's also kind of this recognition of a redemptive kingdom that gathers all of God's people, right? Like all the prophets says, gathers his people under the banner of Jesus Christ and through the Messiah. And so it's a daily reminder, really, that the earth, the desert we're walking through is not our home, but that we're making our way to our, our further and our promised destination. And so it's reframing it to say, I'm not, ex I'm not where I'm supposed to be long term. This is temporary. And so because of that, I don't want to be under my will. I want to be under the will of him who guides me to my eternal home. And daily, we have to realign ourselves with the will of God. And not only do I not want to do my will, I sure as heck don't want to do the will of Satan, right? I sure as heck don't want to be falling into the same sin over and over in my life. And it kind of looks like this. The guide is walking, and as he walks in this straight path, sometimes I kind of feel like I'm kind of wandering, and then I get distracted, and I wander over here, then I get distracted, and I wander over here. But my goal is that I would stay in constant alignment and line up with his will. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, how we get into alignment with the Lord is constant repentance. Can I tell you, if you come to Banner Church, the goal of worship is repentance. That we would praise an almighty God and in praising an almighty God, that we would see the gap between us and God and say, ooh, man, what's gonna, there's a big difference. <laughs> and so as I praise you, you're mighty God, I want to be near you. How do I get near you? Well, I remove the things, the sin inside my heart that would keep me from you. I lay it at your feet and say, God, would you begin to, to, to restore me and renew me through repentance? And uh, I was even thinking about this as I was driving here. And I'm not saying road rage, but I'm saying like whatever is like right below road rage is I feel like there's a constant state of having to realign with the Lord even in traffic, right? Since I moved to Arizona, I have never disliked people who drive so much in my entire life. People are driving over the top of people, guys. Like what is happening? Um, anyways, my point is that we need to be in constant sense of realignment. So God gives us this blessing. And sometimes reform our context here. We don't have to take a lamb into the temple. We right now can say, God, 
I lay my sin at your feet. I repent of anything that would separate me from you. Would you realign me with your will? God's will for your life is to live in obedience to him. So he gives us these, uh, these three calls, and it's kind of like a formula, right? Like I said, seek first the kingdom. Those are three kingdom things. Seek first the kingdom of God. When he talks about not worrying, he doesn't say, you know, ask for the things you want and then maybe you'll get it. He says, seek first the kingdom and all this will be given to you. And so this morning, I want to I talk through three, these are the, the last part of the six, uh, three things that God calls us to seek from him. And I like this uh, because I think sometimes we need the freedom to realize that Jesus told us to ask. So it's okay to ask because he wants us to. It's good. The first thing is seek provision. Uh, verse 11 is give us today our daily bread. I think sometimes we're afraid to ask God for things. I don't know if you've been to church too much. I, I spent time in youth ministry, and I feel like youth pastors are always saying, like, you know, God's not Santa, right? I got to, like, look around and make sure there's no kids here. Of course God's not Santa, because Santa isn't real. I'm sorry if I ruined your childhood. Uh, but God is real, and he does actually give good things, and so this isn't Jesus saying like, well, hey, maybe ask and then maybe God will, you know, maybe do his thing. We'll see. You know, if, you, if you've been good this year and you're on the nice list, you know, then you can ask for daily provision. Here is Jesus instructing the, those he spent the most time with. Here's what you can ask for God. And he says, give us today our daily bread. And I think Jesus chose his words wisely and that he adds a couple things here that are really great. First, it's it's give us today our daily bread, not others' daily bread. Not when I see Joe down the street getting, give to me, Lord, what you would believe I need, the provision I need. Not in envy, but in relationship, right, with you. And then it says today, daily. See, in this prayer so far, there's been no, like, sense of time, right? Um, there's been nothing that dictates, like, here's the time of the prayer. Here's when you should do it until right now. And this kind of then applies backwards and forwards throughout the whole prayer. That today, daily, right? So today we pray for our daily provision. Every day we get the blessing of praying for what we cannot do ourselves. And we get to pray for the provision that we need. And I think it's important because not only is Jesus giving permission, but he's giving us instruction to ask. What is he giving us instruction to ask for? Provision. When is he giving us, giving us permission or instruction to ask for it? Right now. And how many more times? Every day. Jesus doesn't say, ask for it till Thursday, then I'm going to get tired of y'all and you're on your own. Right? He's saying, ask for it every day. And I, I love that about Jesus, that just as our bodies need constant renewal through food, so do our souls need constant renewal through prayer. And that we serve a loving God, and we'll talk more about bold prayers next week, but we serve a loving God who has instructed us to say, I can give you what you need to get through the day if you would just come before me humbly and ask. Come into alignment with me through obedience and say, God, would you give me what I need? Provision. I think that's a daily prayer for me. It's become more of a daily prayer, I feel like, the more I go in ministry. God, I, I need your renewal. I need your provision. 
I pray that in my life. I've prayed that financially. I prayed that in my life, in my health, in my body. I prayed that in my life, in my family. I prayed that in my mind, in my heart. God, I, I need your daily bread, your provision. And sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, you feel a little guilty almost asking God for things. It's like, I don't, I don't want to be a burden. But you know what, God, Jesus is instructing us here every day, come to me for what you need and I will give it. The second thing is this, is a call to seek forgiveness. It's a lot like repentance here, but it's a little bit different. And I just want to clarify is verse 12 says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I think that's an interesting way to do scripture. How many of you have ever prayed like this before you left the house? God, the amount that I love people in my life today, would you also love me that amount? Like that would be an awful day for me. <laughs> like, God, I'm not feeling very loved. And he's like, neither is anyone else. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you. Burn. Um, but... But I think that it's an interesting formula because this kind of like almost reverse going to real Lord is I do it to others, would you do it to me? And so I don't want it to seem as a trap, but it's basically a formula. Another way of saying it is to the measure at which I give others, would you give unto me? Um, Luke 6, 38 says, give, and this is talking about uh, grace, not money. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And I think it's gonna mess people up a little bit because I don't want us to freak out to think God is keeping some like list like, well, you forgave six people today and I forgave you of eight sins. So I guess next day you better, you know, up the ante. Like there's not some score being kept, but God wants to reframe our heart and our attitude to one of judgment, to one of grace, right? To say that our heart should be one who has received such grace that we live in that grace. And so the seeking forgiveness isn't like, oh man, I have to do this for other people. That is a blessing for you and here's why. God knows the full weight of what it costs to forgive someone, right? He sent his son to die on the cross. He, he understands the gravity of forgiveness. So he's with you when, when you say, it's hard for me to forgive. But even beyond that, God says, I gave my son to die and rise again for you so that you could walk unshackled by bitterness and frustration and unforgiveness and sin. So don't put shackles back on that Jesus has already died to take off. And so what he's putting into this prayer is a change of attitude to say, Lord, would we live in a freedom of forgiveness that says the enemy comes in with the things that hurt us. And it's not minimizing the hurt, but it's glorifying the freedom to say the enemy comes in and tries to hurt us and God would you deliver us in freedom from the unforgiveness that would try to shackle us to the past the unforgiveness that tried to shackle us back here to things that people said about us or did to us and we would never step into the future into living our life in the fullness of the goodness of the gospel to live in the joy and freedom that it brings because we have shackled ourselves back here and God says you know what I have forgiven you greatly, so greatly forgive, not for them, but for you. 
that you would live in the fullness. And so daily we pray, God, this person has said this to me and they have so greatly hurt me, but I choose today to lay it down at your feet. I choose to give it to you because I wanna walk in the freedom of your will and of your love and of your hope. And you know what happens the next day when we wake up and we're angry and we're frustrated and that's still going in our mind and the enemy is still speaking that into us that you know what, you're not gonna be good enough because they said you're not good enough. Do we know what God says? He says, again, daily, right now, bring that to me and I'm gonna break those things off. Leave those here, forgive them, lay them down, forget them, get rid of them because I want you to walk in the fullness. And can I say, that's not just like getting water in the desert, that's like getting a feast in the desert. It would be a shame to have a feast set up in the desert but choose to eat a dirty cracker because we can't stand to, to lay it down at his feet. And God's saying, come on, I got something good for you. And that's not meant to chastise, it's meant to energize and encourage you. The third and final thing this morning is to seek protection. I love this one. Uh, basically because verse 13 is an interesting portion of scripture. I'm going to read it. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a really interesting translation in the NIV. And I think it's interesting that we would think that a loving father would lead us into like booby traps and temptation. And, and I, and I, I see that all the time where I think, oh, God's leading me into this really terrible thing. That's not what a loving father does. And the Bible supports that, is that God, when we ask for these, he doesn't give us a snake, right? He gives us good things. He doesn't, a loving father doesn't lead you into like a rabid pack of wolves just to see if you make it. Like, oh, I hope he's tough enough and he learns to avoid wolves, right? So I think a better translation is, uh, and it, and it kind of comes from our understanding of James 1. I just want to read this. Um, Remember when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. So here's a closer translation. It says it in other translations, a closer understanding of this as a whole kind of poetic phrase here is, God, do not let us yield to temptation or keep us from being overcome by temptation. Again, this is our daily prayer for protection. God, as I'm walking through with you in the desert, remember, we are in the desert. We're walking through to our final destination. God, as we walk through the desert, can you guide me because I'm lost? Would you guide me in a way that would avoid the evil that would want to come against me or my family? See, God doesn't just give you permission to ask that. He instructs you to ask that. God, would you guide me in a way that would avoid these things that would want to come against me? A loving father doesn't lead us into, into these things that would hurt us. That what the writers, what Jesus is saying here is, see this temptation that I will daily face, Lord. See this temptation that will daily come against. Can you, with your mighty power, protect and guide me? And I love that as a father, to be able to pray over my daughter, God, would you protect and guide this child? I mean, I would do anything for that kid. And so daily I pray, God, would you protect and guide her? God, would you, would you guide her through the things that would try to come against her, the words and action and hurt? It's not an easy world, and it's not getting any easier for young girls, right? And I think, God, would you guide? Would you protect? Would you protect her innocence? And I'm reassured daily that Jesus not only says, yeah, that's okay if you pray for that. He says, would you pray for this? Here's how. 
right? God, would you guide? And I think, man, what a blessing. I'm gonna invite the band up this morning. I don't know if there's anybody in the room that would say, I deserve this blessing of prayer, right? We just had listed like a ton of things that you can pray for. Say, I deserve this blessing of prayer. This is mine. I, I, don't, I don't feel that way. But I'm blessed to have it, to have communion with the Lord, to have a right now prayer that I don't have to go somewhere special. I don't gotta come into Banner Church just to pray. I love praying together. It's fantastic. There's power in corporate prayer. But it doesn't say like I have to do this and sacrifice this and lay this and, and the blood of this and do this. I can just come before the Lord with a humble and contrite heart and say, God, I give this to you. I lay this at your feet. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just close your eyes? I want us to focus our hearts here. I have one last thing to say. I want you to take a second with your eyes closed and just imagine that you get to the end of this journey through the desert. You're walking, you're dusty, you're dirty, you've been with the guide for a long time. You're faithfully following. Maybe a couple times you've fallen, you've gotten hurt, you've gotten back up again, but you, you're following the guide. And at the end of the journey, you stand before this mighty resort mansion. And in it, you see all these pools, you see this beautiful water, you see all this food and provision, you see the beautiful air conditioning, you're never gonna have to be hot again. And you stand there and you look in and, and you're just so thankful that you made it. You're so thankful that he brought you here. And you say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And the guy turns to you and says, you're welcome. And he says, I'm just curious though, so curious. I told you, you could have anything. I told you, you could have anything that I was always open to hear you, to talk with you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to provide for you, to protect you, to walk with you, to carry you, to be your support in times where your legs had given out, to give you anti-venom when the things of the earth came up and bit you, to give you freedom for the snares on the road that tried to pull you down. I told you, you could have anything. And so I'm just wondering, why didn't we talk more? Why didn't we talk more? Not like there was anything between us. Not like there was anything that separated us. I would give you anything. I gave you my son. I would give you anything. Why don't we talk more? With every eye closed, I believe it is the heart of the Father that we would commune with him. And when we get to the end of the life that we've lived and we stand in heaven, I guarantee you that none of us will regret a minute spent in prayer, an hour spent seeking God, 21 days fasting and believing in his presence. None of us will regret that. So God's saying, you don't have to wait for 21 days. You don't have to wait to get to church. I wanna commune with you right now. I wanna picture you just standing at the end the end of the journey, standing with the one that you love and saying, God, thank you. God, when I was weak, you strengthened me. 
God, when I was trapped in my own crisis and I praised you, you reshaped my perspective and I saw something better and I, my faith was restored to continue the journey. God, when I felt overwhelmed, you provided. When I was out of alignment or lost on the way and I came before you, you never rejected me, but you always restored and renewed me. I thank you and you stand at the end of the journey and you say, God, I thank you that you never held back from me. You never, you never messed with me. You never held back your hand from me, but every time I came to you, you met with me. Come on, what a blessing that would be. And some of you this morning, God is trying to instill and knock on the door of your heart and say, I wanna commune with you at an even deeper level than I've ever communed with you before. I wanna hear from you in all of these different ways, in all of these different forms. I wanna hear from you. You can ask me for daily provision, no matter how weak you feel. You can seek it right now. You can ask him for daily freedom through forgiveness. So no matter how much the world may have tried to make you bitter, you can seek me right now. The Lord is speaking to someone this morning. The Lord is speaking to say, you can seek for protection and guidance so you might feel totally lost and alone. I will come to you and deliver you. And you don't gotta wait, but you can seek me right now. I bring you, my arm is outstretched with the, the cool, fresh water. And I said, if you would simply pray, you could receive this morning of the cool, fresh, life-giving water of Jesus Christ right now, no matter how deep, dark, hot, crazy, brutal, effective your desert is, this water can come and restore and refresh you this morning. This morning, God is trying to knock on the door of your heart and he's asking this church, who wants more? Who wants more of prayer in their life? Who wants to live a life of prayer? Who wants to be known as a man of prayer or a woman of prayer? Who wants to be known as a church of prayer? Who wants to be known as a church that seeks God continually unceasing? And he's knocking on your heart and he's saying, who will come and receive and have communion with me? He's asking you right now, every eye closed, every head bowed. He's asking you right now. God has given you the blessing of prayer and he's asking this morning, who would receive this morning? Say, I, I want more. Can I tell you, church, there's more to be had. I want more. Keep tapping his shoulder, God, I, I want more. Keep asking him, God, I want more. There's more to be had this morning.